This is the Faith Ventures Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, telling stories of Christians doing business for the glory of God. If you appreciate this program, support the nonprofit work of LCI by donating at libertarianchristians.com slash donate. And if you'd like to share your story, contact us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. Welcome back to Faith Ventures. I'm Dr. Norman Horn. And today with me, we are honored to have joining us Mr. Guy Rogers of Flourishing Leadership. He's got a podcast of the same name, Flourishing Leadership with Guy Rogers. He's a really interesting leadership coach who has a diverse set of experiences ranging from anywhere from education, politics, nonprofits, ministry, and business. So he is here today to talk to us about business leadership, what it means to be a Christian in leadership, and how to accomplish our goals as leaders in today's weird, weird world. So Guy, thank you for joining me today. Appreciate it. It's my pleasure, Norm. So first off, as we always like to do here at Faith Ventures, let's talk a little bit about your career journey. How did you kind of get started and what have you done and how did you become the immense Guy Rogers of today? <laughs> well, I can tell you in 1977, when I started as a high school teacher, I never envisioned the path that I ended up on. I never envisioned Going into the world of politics, for instance, which was about about nine years later, I never envisioned going into business the way I did. It was these opportunities that presented themselves, and you had a choice at that point. Mm -hmm. You could take a risk and step out, think entrepreneurially, think with faith, or retreat to a comfort zone and play it safe. And I know friends who did the latter. And they played it safe. And you look back now and, and I can see that they had these enormous opportunities and talents and gifts that to refer to the parable of the talents, they buried them in the ground. Yeah. This journey that I have walked has really more reflected opportunities that presented themselves. And I had to choose, do I bury my talent in the ground and play it safe? Or do I step out, take a risk? And it didn't always work out the way I would have hoped, I would have liked. And yet every step of the way, I learned things. I gained experience. I was around leaders who spoke into my life. I, was, I saw people who did things in what I saw as the right way and the wrong way. So I learned from both. I learned mm. from leaders of organizations and I, that, about things that I would go, if I ever get to a place like that, I am not going to do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so that, I mean, just as an overview, that's, that's how life unfolded, beginning with moving from being a high school teacher to buying a small business. It was a big step. It was a move. It was a step of faith to do that. And that opened the door to things that, honestly, I never thought I would have been doing 10 years before I did them. Awesome. And, and so you've been all around the varying corners of industry in some respects. Like You've been literally a teacher. You've been a small business owner. You've been a solopreneur, even now. You're a business coach. You focus a lot on leadership. And so let's talk about some of the experiences that have unpacked some of the things you just kind of said. And let's talk about some of the experiences that inform a lot of your leadership philosophy and the things that you try to convey to your, I guess, coaching clients or to your students now. The most important place to start is the four years from 1978 to 82, where I was discipled by a man I call my spiritual father. This was, I mean, I could spend a long time talking about this. <laughs> Suffice to say, 
life-changing, transformational, put my life on an entirely different trajectory than I anticipated in 1977. Mm. And what I learned from that was how important it was to have a wiser, more mature guide or mentor in your life. Yep. You didn't have it throughout my career. And there are times looking back, I wish I had been more assertive looking for one. But I realized how important that was, which is why it took me to where I am today, these many years later, as a leadership coach. I talked to a George Barna, a friend of mine back in early 2000, when I was considering launching this leadership coaching practice. And he told me something very interesting. He said, in all my research, I find that Christians, typically they'll have a fellowship, church fellowship they're part of. They may be involved in a small group, some kind of cell group. But most of them lack someone who has walked the path before them, we can call mentor, coach, guide, who is speaking into their lives, who's providing an example. In other words, the model Jesus gave us for discipleship. And I've discovered over the years, George is exactly right. Mm. So here's what that says. We end up making a lot of mistakes we don't have to make if we had a guide. Okay, yeah. Mistakes are valuable. They're valuable, but they're not always necessary to learn the same lessons. Yeah. And that's where I would start is I think the most important part of my journey was getting that early on and then realizing how important that was to everything I walked out in the years that followed. You make a really interesting point there about, you know, the mistakes you didn't have to make. Like there are the unforced errors, if you will, that are very much avoidable. I think sometimes we get a little confused and I wonder if you agree with this of this that we almost see amongst our business peers at times, it's almost cult of failure at times. <laughs> and it, you, need to be, you need to understand that it's okay to fail, but there's also the sense of unforced errors that you don't need to make, and they're, they're very much avoidable. I mean, is that kind of the way you feel that your mentors have kind of brought you up as well? Very much, very much. And what I've discovered in my coaching practice, I've been doing this now over three and a half years, and my clients would actually say this if they were with us on the air, is that the guidance that they get in our coaching helps them to progress faster and avoid some of those unforced errors that they mm. realized they were making even at the time we started coaching. Think of the disciples. They spent three years with Jesus. How long would it have taken them to get to a place to be the leaders of the new church that was going to change the world? Three years? Or 30. <laughs> yeah. They'd prefer the 30, I'm sure. Probably 30 if they yeah. got there at all. Yeah. So my, my exhortation to your listeners is, wherever you are in leadership in the marketplace, if you don't have a guide that is walking this path before you, you're missing some incredible opportunities, not only to grow deeper and faster, but to avoid those unforced errors you talked about. Uh, so when you think about how you recommend to your, your people to how to pick out a good mentor, what kind of things do you tell them that they should be on the lookout for? Well, there's several things. The first is look at their leadership life. Look at what they've walked. What do they bring to the table? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's first. Then look at their character because I believe that character is central to good leadership. We have people in leadership who They've been successful, you know, both Christian and non-Christian, but then major character flaws get exposed. 
and the world comes tumbling down, right? Yeah. Look at someone who you could say, when I look at that person's life over the course of 20, 25, 30 years, I see their bio, I look into them, I see the successes, I see things that maybe didn't work out the way they'd hoped. But here's what I really see, character, mm. growth and integrity and service for others and a passion for others, a passion for the kingdom in the marketplace. Look for that. Find that. And that person will be able to be that model, that example for you to then walk your path better. Yeah, we've had a, one of our guests in on prior episodes, a, a gentleman named Benj Miller, who his phrase that I liked very much was, uh, he said, you know, you want to try and be inwardly sound and others focused. I think it kind of hits, hits on the types of things that you're saying as with regards to, you know, kind of characters that we try to build up an inner life that is very centered, very sound, very just present. But then that it, that, inner life is functions to kind of and is levered toward being others focused as well. And that sounds eerily reminiscent of some of what you're saying there too. It is actually very spot on. Yeah. And one of the challenges for that I've seen, I've experienced it for many years as a assertive gung ho, go get them, take the hill type of personality yeah. <laughs> is we can lose sight of being other focused. Mm -hmm. We become performance driven so task-oriented, goal-achieving, that we can lose sight of the fact that the essence of the gospel is relational. Uh. It begins with our relationship with God, and then extends to relationship to others. So whatever we're doing in the marketplace, that's how we're to live. And so I've had to learn, and I will be very honest about this, sometimes very difficult learning <laughs> of how to be that other focused as I'm inward sound and still work to achieve the goals, the things that are put before me. It's not an easy balance to get to. Yeah, I definitely can see that in my own life too. And, and I'm, you kind of hit on exactly where I wanted to be going next uh, in this kind of questioning process here. And that's that, okay, you know, there are folks like you and me who are probably of somewhat similar personality types on, I, I would imagine on some level. And I wonder, you probably coach young men and women, probably somewhat like me too at times. What are the kinds of things like we you were just noting that it's kind of mistakes that we often make as Christians or well, really just as people, I mean, not just Christians per se, but the perhaps errors or traps or mistakes that we can make in our attitudes, in that inward inner life, if you will, that maybe like it's hard for us to kind of see from the inside. Mm -hmm. That's why you need a coach sometimes is to be able to point out these, these areas where you can improve, you can make a difference in your leadership. Let's talk about some of those. You've already mentioned that like you can kind of neglect that others focusedness. Mm -hmm. What other things like that do you see at times that where Christians are making those kinds of mistakes? Well, let's first acknowledge that we all have blind spots. Yep. We call them blind spots for a reason, because we're blind to them. Mm -hmm. To me, one of the keys to being able to overcome blind spots is a spirit of humility of self-examination. Mm. The willingness to listen, to hear people give different ideas than yours, to present things to you that may be perceived as unfair criticism. 
mm-hmm. take those in and to carefully weigh them and reflect on them. To begin with an attitude when things are going south, what am I doing starting there or not doing and not what are they doing or not doing? And yeah. This is the thing. It's interesting. There's a book called Derailed by Tim Irwin. It's profiles in five top business leaders. Carly Fiorina was one of them. Uh, I can't remember the other four now, but I had him on my podcast when I was at Pinnacle Forum years ago. And I, as I read it, he was profiling what happened to these you know, rising stars. Mm-hmm. And I saw a, a common thread among all five. There was an arrogance. There was a, I know best. There was a, no one can tell me. And it served them up to a point where then it, when it didn't serve them. When the responsibilities, when the challenges became so great that they needed the team around them to speak into them, they didn't have that team because they had pushed them away with an attitude that was arrogant, I know better. So wherever we are in this walk, we have to be on guard against this, I know better. Mm. I don't need any advice. We may not think we're thinking that, but here's the test. You have your team around you and somebody raises an idea that runs counter to what you're thinking is the best idea. What's your reaction to it? That's a good, that's a good gauge. Yeah. <laughs> do you dismiss it out of hand or do you take some time and go, wait a minute, there might be something here. Mm. What I discovered with a team I worked with years ago in a national organization when I bring the staff around and we would have these types of meetings, I discovered that if I spent about 10% talking and 90% listening, it proved to be very valuable. I still had to make the ultimate decisions, but I was able to process different ideas and they felt the freedom to bring those to the table because I wasn't going to shoot them down out of hand. So that's where I would start with respect to the biggest mistake I believe we can make as we progress on a path to realizing the full potential of our leadership calling is, are we self-examining? Are we introspective? Do we reflect? And do we hear others or do we lock into, hey, wait a minute, I know the best way to do this. That's pretty cool. And and I think there's some, there's a sense in which our, you know, our Christian upbringing, if 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 we've got that, is somewhat informative of how, of like, modeling that for us on some level. I'm reminded of the great passage in Corinthians where it says, and we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's got to be something there that we can, you know, use not just to improve our morals, kind of moral in inner life per se, but the way in which we think about other people and interact with them too. There's something probably to that. And I'm wondering, do you kind of see that as well? Or, and especially when you're coaching Christians in this respect, do you lever those sorts of lessons from scripture in order to help them to kind of make it to the next level? Yeah, at times I do. There's one that I particularly like, and that is when Paul exhorted, do not think of yourself highly than you, more highly than you ought. Mm. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. You know, it kind of cuts to the core, you know, kind yeah, of yeah, yeah. <laughs> chase. And <laughs> I have discovered in my own life, and I have seen it in others, that the way that you can navigate through blind spots is to think in terms of those scriptural exhortations about Mm. walking this life. I mean, there's a reason that Jesus said 
He who would be my disciple, let let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. What was he speaking to? He was speaking to dying to pride and self-absorption and everything goes with it. And that is a very good exhortation for us in the marketplace. And I would say even for a person who isn't a, quote, Christian, if they are still modeling those types of traits of humility, of team thinking, of Mm -hmm. listening to others, they're basically still applying truth, even if they're doing it from the perspective of one who is not a follower of Christ. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. And I imagine as well that the non-Christian can garner a lot of wisdom, obviously from the Bible that doesn't require them to be converted off the bat. And of course, it makes makes the biggest difference once you do. <laughs> of course. Uh, as well. But as we kind of in, embrace these newer attitudes towards leadership here, how do we kind of moderate that at times against, you know, in, in some sense against where we do sometimes need to make hard decisions and come in and make a stand even sometimes with your own people? I mean, because like leadership it involves two things, right? It's the servant aspect of it. You lead by example, but then you also have to be decisive at times. Yes, um, where's do. the balance in that that you kind of tried to teach people as well? Because I think, and I'll, the reason I'm asking this, by the way, is that I think that you could easily see the sort of like tilt so far on another end that you might miss sight of it, become develop a new blind spot, uh, if you will. And Correct. so how do you balance that out for folks? So one of the things I like to do with clients is I talk in terms of the two extremes of any particular matter. So let's take okay. what you just talked about. There are two extremes. Mm-hmm. There is the leader who is always deferring, you know, wants to get consensus on everything, very self-deprecating, and there are aspects of that that, of course, are quality. Then -hmm. on the other extreme, you've got the leader who charges ahead, never listens to anybody else, is very assertive, very decisive. The balance is right in the middle. And interestingly enough, if you think about it, both extremes, I believe, are informed by a fear of man. Okay. Think of the extreme of the one who's always deferring, always deferring. Okay. Can you see how motivation of a fear of others or a fear of failure is, is going to be a factor? And I run into this all the time, Norman, all the time with leaders. But then you got the other side, and you wouldn't think this would be the case the, the assertive, the decisive, that type of person. But they are often very insecure deep down. And so mm. they compensate for it by pulling ahead and making decisions and doing things because that gives them a sense of security. Here's the balance. Let's go back to your inward sound, others focused. Mm -hmm. The inward sound is not insecure. The inward sound is secure. The more secure the inward is in Christ, the less fear of man there is. So when I have to make a decision that is going to be unpopular, I can make that decision. I can take that stand because I'm secure in who I am. I'm secure in, in what I believe. I'm secure in who I know in Christ. And thus I can make that decision. But I can also be listening, humble, taking things in because again, why? I'm secure. I've worked with leaders who were so insecure that anybody around them who came across as assertive and decisive was a threat. So in one particular instance I can think of, that person purged the top five people around him who all represented that. Oh, man. (laughs) And it was remarkable because a few years later, the whole entity came crashing down. 
And it wasn't just me that saw it. Two of the other people, independent of me, brought it up to me and said, do you think this is what happened? And that can be the downfall of an organization. It can be the downfall of a business. So what does it really come back to? It comes back to that walk we walk daily just between us and God. How do you continue to build that up? Like, like that's a muscle that you have to keep exercising, right? So how do you recommend that you know, young people or even losers such as myself can kind of bring that up and exercise that muscle more and more and train oneself to get better at this? You know, I love... Dallas Willard as an author. I don't know if any of your listeners are familiar. Oh, man. We'll have to talk about that later. (laughs) I I read his book, The Great Omission, uh, Revolution of Character. I love his quotes like, the advance in the kingdom extends as far as the reach of your influence. And when I read The Great Omission, which is about discipleship, I really keyed in on his focus on when Jesus said, be disciples, here's in the context of you know, 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, here's what that meant. Early. That meant working day by day by exercising certain disciplines to think more like Jesus, act more like Jesus, feel more like Jesus, see more like Jesus. So you're literally becoming more and more one with Christ. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, 29, when he says, we have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So see, that's the path we walk. Well, how do we get there? Well, I can tell you one way you won't get there. If you (laughs) as a Christian don't have a rich life of prayer, introspection with God, time in the word, you won't get there. You'll get part of the way there, but you won't get there as far as you think you will get because it all begins with that vertical relationship, that relationship with him and I love the way Willard, he's such he's so great with lines. He says, grace is always opposed to earning, but it is never opposed to effort. Love it. That's so good. <laughs> it's powerful. It yeah. I'm a partner with God, okay? And it's, he didn't do it all. We work together on this. He's done his part. He does his part. What's my part? My part mm-hmm. goes to things that, Richard Foster talks about in his book, Celebration of Discipline, the spiritual disciplines, prayer, time in the word, solitude, which by the way, the data, the empirical research shows us is not evident in the typical Christian's life. Yeah, that is certainly true. And I mean, it's more and more evident in today's age, kind of sadly so. So so that's a good exhortation. We're caught up in busyness. Yeah. Busyness and noise everywhere. I mean, who would envision a time when 24-7 you could have constant information, entertainment everywhere you looked? (laughs) Yeah. It is so chaotic and thus distracting. Yeah. And the lack of focus that that kind of inculcates is definitely a problem that we kind of always have to deal with. Although it's also kind of the case that, you know, we've never, in some sense, we've never been at a lack of information, but we've always been at a lack of discipline. And so I think that, you know, Willard's, exhortation to develop those disciplines. And and in fact, that that's how you build up that muscle is a great message to all of us on some level. I love that. I'm glad you brought that up. Here's what it does. We're all, I I believe that we're all called to be servant leaders. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a person who you have, you're unfortunately some who has suffers really severe handicaps and disabilities that you just don't have the opportunity. 
But for most of us, even a single mom who's just who's struggling just to keep, you know, make ends meet, she still has a leadership calling with Mm -hmm. two children. It is what it means to be walking in the footsteps of Christ. He was the great leader. He was the great example as a servant leader. So we all have a call to do that. By walking this out in the way I've been talking about, we not only cultivate this rich life with God, we cultivate our leadership calling in the process. Awesome. And we see it released. And that's exciting. That's and that kind of goes to, you know, what you do in your business and like even this the uh, what some of the themes of your business include that kind of un, unleashing unleashedness. How do you uh, kind of talk about that a little bit? I love to use the phrase unleashing your leadership calling because I believe that all of us to lesser or greater lengths have shackles on our leadership, on our leadership really? ability. Those shackles can be things we have control over. Maybe it's the lack of self-discipline. Maybe it's too many blind spots. We've talked about those. There can be shackles that we don't necessarily have control over, and that means we have to walk in a faith trust walk with God that he will open doors to make things possible. But if you look at the life of the great leaders, they started out leading in small ways. They built to leading in big ways. It is what Jesus talked about when he said, he who is faithful over little, I will make ruler over much. And it makes sense, even if you're not a Christian. <laughs> yeah. You start in a small thing, you build to the bigger thing, okay? So I am, I love to see, and this is, this really rings my bell. When I see yeah. people, when I see people and light bulbs go on and they break through a particular wall, something happens, there's a revelation or an epiphany, and they step up to another level of leadership and the ripple effect that has in their lives. I mean, think about it. If we were all walking really towards the fullness of our leadership calling, what would the, how much impact and influence would the body of Christ have in the culture today? Enormous. Yeah, it'd be terrific. <laughs> you get to see. In the marketplace, in business, in politics, wherever, wherever the calling is, we would have an enormous amount of influence we would not be the, ta- the tail being, uh, you know, the, being wagged, but we would be the dog wagging the tail. Well, we, I think we'd also see a revolution or that would eliminate so many of the, the crazy problems that we kind of keep see cropping up, even in, amongst churches today, where, you know, I mean, it seems like every other week, our good friend Julie Royce brings up, you know, another investigative story about a, some megachurch pastor going rogue and there's some mega scandal that develops. I mean, we've, from seeing the downfall of Ravi Zacharias and, uh, and various other folks. I mean, just recently it was Mike Bickle. I mean, all this stuff is crazy. And I can only imagine that if we were heeding the advice of Guy Rogers here, to <laughs> that we focusing on that inner life at first and making that first and foremost, we, these things would just like, these are the unforced errors that don't need to happen. Well, and it comes back to what I said earlier. If you examine not only their lives, but what I've experienced in the work I've done over 35 years, there is a particular vocational path that is, if not the least likely, very highly likely to be resistant to having guides and mentors, and that's pastors and Christian leaders. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so true. (laughs) Business leaders were very open to it. Leaders in government, much were open to it. But when it came to pastors and Christian leaders... Oh, I've got my board and so on. 
So, of course, my question would be, so if you're struggling with pornography, you're going to go to your board about that? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, probably not. So, so they end up on an island susceptible and vulnerable to their blind spots, their foibles, uh. their sins, their fears, because they're trying to walk it alone. God never intended that. Yeah. For any of us, no matter where we are in leadership, that was never his intent. Awesome. And so I want to get back to one other thing before we kind of drive toward the close here. And uh, this kind of gets more back to your business experience. I don't want to forget this because I thought this was a really interesting point about you. And we talked about this before we got on the air here. Okay. And that's, you have such an interesting diversity of experiences. And I, I feel like it's just, it's just really fascinating to see how many industries you've been involved in. And I'm curious, is that a function kind of of the area in which you found yourself serving? That is in just leadership or, or did you, how did you develop that kind of breadth of experience, if you will? Hopefully that's a good way to word it. But I think it's important because I think this, for, for a lot of us, you know, myself included here, I think that there's, we sometimes can, get confused as to like, well, how do I transfer this skill into this other area or, or some, something to that effect? If you would unpack that a little bit more for us. I think it's a balance of moving forward with ambition. I don't think there's a problem with ambition. As sure, I hope not. <laughs> tempered by the, no, no. As long as it's tempered by the things yeah. we talked about here. Right, okay? right. If it's ego-driven ambition, eh, okay? If it's ambition for service and influence and being a transformative change agent in the marketplace, in the world, in the church, whatever. So they're, they're having that, a sense of never being totally comfortable with where I am, really? being content with where I am, but never being so comfortable that I'm going to say to God out of hand when an opportunity opens, I'm not even going to look at that. One of the things that I did, because opportunities become my way, Matter of fact, I had a very strange one, and I'll share with this with your listeners. <laughs> this was in early 2007, and I get, an, I'm working on a presidential campaign at the time, and I get an email from a friend of mine in Virginia, and she says, would you be open to taking a look at an opportunity? Well, because I knew her, I knew it wasn't a network marketing thing, <laughs> because that's <laughs> off the line that's used, right? Would you be open to look at an opportunity? So I emailed back, and I said, sure. Even though I was working on a presidential campaign, I didn't just close the door you know, hmm. out of hand. She sends me an email back. She says, well, I'd like you to meet this person. She's got a best-selling book. She uh, was a survivor of the Lebanese Civil War, lived in a bomb shelter under her house for 10 years. And she has an organization she wants to start that will combat the threat of radical Islam. I didn't know anything about Islam to speak of other than kind of the most vague things, right? Sure, yeah. Well, it would have been totally understandable for me to go, eh, <laughs> that's not for me. I've never <laughs> been on that path. I've never done something like that. It did play to my experience in areas of building grassroots organizations, but it was a wow. So I said, well, I'll take a look at it. So I went to meet with the woman. We spent three days together, and she spent the next three months recruiting me to be her first executive director. And I was cautious, not so much because of what I didn't know, but because did I want to venture off into this path? Because this was one that was more than just normal risk. You get death threats in that world. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is a different world, okay? I eventually took it on, spent six and a half years doing it, and really had the honor and privilege of taking that from an idea with 20,000 emails 
on a list to a $2 million a year budget, 280,000 email list, 850 chapters in all 50 Oof. states over the course of six years. What's the point? The point of that is this. Listeners, you're going to have opportunities come your way. They may come from the strangest places. They will maybe even very unexpected in areas you hadn't even thought about. Avoid the temptation to dismiss out of hand. That is a good exhortation. Once again, to kind of being open to those opportunities is really crucial and not being so self-conscious about it. Because uh, I think you could say, as you said, you could have been self-conscious about it. You chose to be open and make a choice that was in a different direction. And that's really interesting. And by the way, I have pursued things that turn, that didn't work out. Yep. They didn't materialize. <laughs> I spent time pursuing that opportunity. But even in those situations, I learned things. I learned things about how better to present myself for, you know, for a, an executive search position opening. There's yeah. always things we can gain by pursuing things that present opportunities we hadn't thought would come our way. Awesome. So, Guy, I always want to, I always like to end Faith Ventures with a similar question uh, for all of our guests. Call it your Tim Ferriss billboard question, if you will. And that's sort of the, uh, imagine, if you will, that you were trying to give some advice to, to your younger self. Uh, you're able to go back in time and tell the young guy something important about faith, about life, about business, about the path forward. And you've offered so much great advice already. Is there anything else that, that, that you would just in particular want to kind of leave our listeners with to, to really make them think and consider for the path ahead of them? It would be this. You're going to face situations where you're betrayed, you're dis uh, people disappoint you, let you down, fail you. They can be in your personal life. They can be in your career. They can be in your church. You will have a choice. Choose the path of the bitter or the path of the better. The path of the better begins with, what did I do to contribute to this problem, this right. failure, and dealing with that, and then forgiving those who betrayed, let you down, disappointed you. Be prepared those things are going to come, because they will. If you're 23 years old and you, the world's your oyster, right? Everything's out of hand. <laughs> trust me, you are going to hit tragedies. You're going to hit difficulties. You're going to hit speed bumps. Some are going to be small. A few will be very, very great to the point of devastating. Mm. That would have been helpful for me to have a better feel for the fact that this was going to happen because I hit some that were really hard and fortunately came through them on the path of the better. But I know of several people, friends, colleagues, who chose the path of the bitter. And that path ends up in a very, very dark place. Another good word of a thing to avoid, but also, you know, we can look forward with a lot of hope that if we do take this life of better, cultivate that inner life, work on our character, that that results in something that's both glorifying to God and personally very satisfying as well. It is, it is. It is unfortunately true that our greatest growth can often come through our greatest tragedies mm. and our greatest difficulties. And those are painful. There's no doubt about it. I went through one experience that was the most excruciatingly emotionally painful thing I can ever imagine. Mm. And I had a coach 
during that time who helped me walk through it. And he said, don't run from the pain. Don't hide, try to hide the pain. Don't deny the pain. I realized if I took it a step further, the growth I would gain would be potentially enormous. And it was embrace the pain. Mm. Because in America, we have, we, we really are used to a comfort life. Yeah. We pain avoidance. <laughs> right. And so we do things to avoid pain. Yeah. Whether it's physical pain, medication, emotional pain, whatever it is. But pain and is there's a reality that pain will be in life. So what do we do with it? Yeah. And I work with clients who are going through great pain. Uh, I'm not a counselor. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. My <laughs> role is to help guide them through the process to move down a path where what they gain from that helps them to move forward with God. And I do actually, I have some clients who aren't even Christians, but we do the same process just little, in a little different way. And so that's, yeah, that's what yeah. I would tell my younger self. That's what I'm working with with some of my younger clients right now who are in the 20s and 30s, those types of, those types of things. Awesome. Well, Guy, thank you so much for being so generous with your time here today. I want to respect your time because we're approaching the end of our hour. I do really appreciate it. This has been really wonderful and interesting. Let's kind of conclude with one more final word, and that is how can folks get in contact with you or learn more about, your, about what you're doing, the things that you write, your podcast? Tell us how to search that out. So I'm going to throw out my phone number. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a first. I don't have a problem with it. It's if somebody wants to reach me, they can text or call 757-621-7355-757-621-7355. If they don't want to be that direct about it, email guy.rogers, and that's R-O-D-G-E-R-S, at flourishing-leadership.com. And that's also the website, flourishing-leadership.com. So guy.rogers at flourishing-leadership.com. I'd love to talk with you. I offer a complimentary coaching session to people. I talk about the methodology, actually work through an initial session with anybody. And I, I no pressure, because my philosophy is this. If you don't want to work with me, then it's not going to work anyway. So why pressure you into it? Fair enough. <laughs> well, and your podcast as well is Flourishing Leadership with Guy Rogers. That you can and they can get. find it on the website yeah. too. They're all yeah. posted on the website, but they can find it on the on you know all the regular podcast apps, you know, Apple and Spotify and so on. It's Flourishing Leadership with Guy Rogers. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Guy. I really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's really been enjoyable to be with you today. All right. Well, this has been Faith Ventures. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. 